Welcome to the Consummate Athlete Podcast, where our goal is to help you find health and community through movement. I'm Molly Herford, a writer, coach, and yoga teacher. And I'm Peter Glassford, an endurance coach and kinesiologist. Every week, we're talking to athletes and experts who can help you lead your best active, adventurous life. Whether you're a gravel racer, a marathon runner, or you just got out on your first bike ride yesterday, we're here cheering you on. You can also visit us online at consummateathlete.com for coaching information and training tips, nutrition advice, yoga flows, bike skills, and more. And now, let's get into this week's episode hello hello welcome back to the consummate athlete podcast peter how you doing it's going well yeah we're into the spring we're having uh you know just all these plans are being built for summer goals now we're sort of right in that like you know the august one so it's been busy with uh, our three-month training plan which is the sponsor for this episode uh, we forget to mention that every week but there you go so the three-month 100 percent made for you training plan is the sponsor for this week uh, you can find that over at consummateathlete.com and indeed we are here for the friday episode uh, we have a great question today maybe a little niche but i think actually more relevant to most of us than we might think so do you want to get into it yeah yeah i think it's funny when i first saw this question i was like oh man another mountain bike question this is getting really specific what are we a mountain bike podcast and i realized well a i mean you are mostly an off-road cycling coach it is sort of your favorite thing to do well and gravel's uh, becoming mountain biking well that's what i was just gonna say is <laughs> i mean most gravel races that i've done and granted i've done some of the weirder maybe like gnarlier shorter ones compared to say your unbound 200 mile i've done much more like 50 mile gravel ones that tend to be on a bit more single track so this question does come up much more in gravel uh, than it used to for sure uh, so the question is when to get off your bike and walk uh, and i'll append that to also say or run um, and i will say it's actually funny i've been seeing a lot of pictures um i think it was mid-south actually a couple weeks ago where there are pictures of this stream crossing and it's not just like a little creek where you're getting, yeah, you know, maybe your tire is getting a little wet here. We're talking bottom brackets fully submerged. And I would say most people were, were riding right through it. And I had to ask myself, I was like, you know what? I think if I was in that race, I probably would have run it because frankly, my bike can't handle that many. You only get so many times with your bottom bracket um, fully submerged. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if all of them were that deep uh that the bottom bracket would be a huge issue i mean over time sure but it is a race bike but i do think there's sometimes a, a strategy around a the risk of going over in the river depending on how big they're in mountain bike stage racing there's more of these we, we call them rideable fords uh, we used to yell rideable fords <laughs> all the time um from trans rockies over on the west coast uh but the other thing is the chain so sometimes it's you know if you're already slowed way down sometimes it is better just to get your shoes a little wet and run through but it depends like if it's a lot of these ones the big sugar course in arkansas is actually sort of like this and i don't know when the course runs it might be drier than when i just did it in the spring i rode the course uh, and it was snowy <laughs> in a lot of places so it may dry out but all that to say like my chain you know 20 miles into the 100 miles was quite dry and angry and, and you know maybe i could have not gone through some of those slightly deeper ones yeah this is not to say that i think every time there's a puddle you should be off and walking uh just that you know th there is some thought that needs to kind of go into some of these things and you have to do a bit of that mathematics to it uh, how many of these do you well get? And i like where how you started this you're sort of thinking what are some reasons you might get off your bike in a bicycle race because I think the automatic one is it's a it's a hill that's too steep to ride, uh, but there are there are plenty of other things. I mean, my gosh, mud bogs are another great one where sometimes it's just going to be so much easier. Which is like a cyclocross thing, right? We mm -hmm. run through the sand pit so that you're you know if you can't ride it, 
if you don't have pit support because your chain gets gnarled up and if you hit the deck you know if you go over in a sand pit it sucks but it's also slow you said ruby west was telling you uh well, so Ruby West, before Cyclocross Worlds, I was kind of stalking her bike a little bit, and she actually had a little sticker on her top tube where she wrote, smooth is fast. Uh, and that was one of my favorite things I took away from that race. It was such a good reminder. Um, you know, it's it's not necessarily getting up something is fast, smooth is fast. So there's that whole question of, I mean, if you're going to bog down in the middle of something, whether it's a hill or a mud pit, and you're going to fall over, you're much better off to smoothly dismount, pull your bike up, and start running without any stopping. And what I like about that is in, in so this risk management piece i've written a little bit of, towards like concussions with this and just risk management i think it might be called on risk the post if i remember right maybe we'll, we'll link to it in the show notes. If, if i can if the post exists i might be just imagining it, it exists. I, okay I okay good uh it probably took me a while to write and i lamented about it Weeks. so the Weeks. idea for our purposes here is you you might walk if the chances if you had to rate the the success if you had to bet me a thousand dollars you're going to do this obstacle you're going to get through this sand pit and the and you're like, eh, you know, this is like a, a six out of 10. So four out of 10 attempts, I'm going to crash. I probably wouldn't take that bet, especially in a long race, especially where we haven't pre-ridden everything. It's blind. And some people are better at this granite risk management than others, but others are, are quite, I'm on a wheel and I'm going to send it. And we need to have a little bit of caution because smooth is fast. Crashing slows us down a lot. A little, you know, 10 second walking period sometimes is worth it for the the long-term efficiency right the average speed mm-hmm. so let's maybe maybe back off and talk about pacing a little bit do you want to talk about well that would be the, the maybe that's just the third reason yeah so we're not backing off we're right on track right on track. okay <laughs> talk to me about pacing whether it's in a ride or in a race and so, maybe the difference so to summarize we started with what was our reason to get off it was like the gear we're protecting the equipment uh, so Molly said the chain gets wet, the bottom bracket, maybe, you know, that could be a long-term, like even training decision that you get off just, well, it's not worth getting my, my bike just torched, you know, putting the hubs or the bottom, if it's that deep and you do see, I've been on rides with people and you're like, that's, you're gonna have to get your whole bike rebuilt now. Yeah. Just, I would say in training, err yeah, on the side of caution. Yeah. Just walk through, uh, you know, you can find rivers to practice in that aren't submerging your hubs and your bottom brackets. Look, right now, it's really hard to get any parts for your bike. Chains exactly. are almost impossible. Yeah. Like, do not sacrifice your chain on a training ride. Yeah, racing's racing, right? So I, I think I would be hesitant to say, if you can ride it, again, 9 out of 10, 10 out of 10, 9.9 out of 10, I would go f- probably ride the river if it were me. But again, if it's not for sure, then it's okay to walk that. So that was, anyhow, equipment. And then that edges into skill. You know, if we see a rock drop, we don't know what's on the other side. This is a, a marathon race, a gravel race, a, a stage race. Then it's about efficiency over the week. So not crashing on day two of the stage race is good for business. <laughs> you know, it increases the chances of finishing. So we just, you know, look before we leap or we walk around it and oh, there you go. It wasn't that bad, but, you know, away we go. And this is where having a skill reserve. This is, you know, if I can do a backflip, the chances I'm 10 out of 10 on most stuff I can see and that I'm spotting and I'm able to spot these lines and I'm familiar with the terrain, then you can ride more. Peter can't do a backflip just in case anyone was wondering. No, but I use that. We have a couple of kids with the Ontario cycling that are just off, you know, and, and so I, you don't really worry about them on a, you know, a, a cross country race course. They're not, you know, they could ride it blind at race pace and most of them would be okay. Most of the time, most of the time being the key word. So the other reason we might, decide to walk hike run is because it's 
too steep or too technical. So technical, I think, is obvious. You know, you, you have to get off your bike because there's a big set of stairs and you have to walk up it or run up it and cyclocross. It just isn't rideable or rideable, you know, at any sort of maybe you can do the stair hop or something, but it's, you know, either going to be really slow or it's going to take so much effort. You know, that's a lot of jumping. Let's deal with the pacing limits then. So we know if it's an endurance ride or an endurance race, there's usually some sort of threshold we're trying not to go over. In an endurance ride, it's usually, you know, that aerobic threshold, that top of zone two. Uh, I, I use 75% really of threshold or of percent max heart rate roughly works out. Uh, that's your talk test, all these things. So that's sort of, we're trying not to do that. So the question in training is often, well, I can't stay underneath that. So the answer often is picking a route. You know, if that's the goal of your workout, then we want a flatter route for most folks, or at least flat enough that you can stay under it. And so if I end up at a wall, I might elect to do the cross-country skier or running strategy of actually just hike a bike, you know, dismount smoothly and just like boop, 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 walk up the steep hill. Making that sound effect the entire way. Yeah, smiling the whole time, you know, nice and upbeat, and then carry on. Maybe it's flat once you're at the top. And so that that's okay. We, we used to do that all the time, right? And we used to, when it was very lactate-based, uh, the training that we did when I was just coming up, there was much more walking. It was very cross-country ski-driven. So we did more of that. That was just normal. We didn't really think about it, right? This is an endurance ride. You stay at endurance pace. And you guys, with your running, are often, you know, at a five. if it was a 5K trail race, you'd sprint up the hill or an interval. You'd sprint up it, right? Yeah, for sure. But then yesterday, we went out on a nice little trail run little little trail run uh, uh and an endurance run an yeah. endurance run yeah and i mean if it's a like, chill gradient of course we're gonna run it that's good practice but if it's a steep little punchy thing we were actually hiking it because that's that's also good practice because that's that i mean a that's what i would do in a long race so it's sort of important to get those faster hike moments in but mm-hmm. b i mean you only get so many matches and especially if you're trying to keep it at an endurance pace for the run it's right. And this is training. So we're training that physiology. We believe in that system. Now, does it matter if you do one little surge? Probably not. Over And it happens once you know, a month or once a week. You know, These are drops in a bucket. But what you more often see is this is a very hilly mountain bike ride. And you know, it was more intended to be a three-hour endurance ride at you know, 70 to 75%. And you've been hitting 95 and then coasting. So you're at 50 95, 50, 100% of, you know, so this is, it looks very different. The average maybe is perfect, uh, but, you know, it's very different, the ride that you did. Uh, and mm-hmm. as far as the systems or the zones that you're you're in, I guess. Yeah. So to that end, as far as training goes, if you do have an endurance ride, this is where your course selection comes in and choosing. A, Bike selection too, maybe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So choosing an actual terrain that maybe doesn't have a lot of really punchy climbs. Well, and I say bike, you know, sometimes riding your mountain bike would let you access a hillier route because the gearing is going to be more favorable. So if you're if you're in a place that's really hilly, it might be that you actually have to use your mountain or your gravel bike, even though it's a little slower and actually more resistance a lot of the time. And then you can go up that hill in your, you know, your easiest gear and then away you go. And so you might be able to ride that and then stay in control. On the flip side, I try and push, everyone's moving off road and I, I like that generally, but we do have these road bikes in a lot of cases where we can feel fast, the resistance is way lower, uh, and we can, you know, go and get a good endurance ride on a nice flat route and feel fast. And sometimes that feeling of fast, getting up to that, you know, 30 kilometers an hour, what's that in miles? 22, 21? Yeah, give or take. Uh, and feeling that, 
without the load of the mountain bike, especially when we've been off road and climbing a lot is to get onto that flat terrain. So road bikes are lighter and more efficient. So you might actually find that it's easier to get your endurance ride in and feel like it's a fast, you know, enough workout. Mm -hmm. So that's that. So is that, that's our endurance rides. We might elect a pace. We choose our pacing. Uh, and then in a race, do we want to go to a race next? Yeah, I think so. So in a race, you're probably going to increase what that tolerable threshold limit is. And the pacing limit isn't a hard rule. You can elect to, we could say, spend a match or however you want to, whatever metaphor you want to use. Which honestly, I kind of don't love. I think it's actually more like lighting your lighter because <laughs> matches, hear me out, matches, you know how many you have in the matchbox, right? Like you're aware that a matchbox has 30 matches or whatever. The lighter you don't know how much lighter fluid you have in the lighter. So you're okay. really guessing that you might have another light left in it, but you don't know. Matches you know when you're down to your last match, but lighters you don't, so. Well, and that's, I mean, some would maybe say you can quantify the, what's, whatever you want to call it, the anaerobic reserve or nope, whatever. But Nope, you can't. There's way too many psychological things in that inner race. Fair enough. And so, you know, if it's tactical, you get up that climb at 100% of max heart rate or whatever over your threshold power and then you have a huge gap on people and those other people probably mentally are are amazed you just climb that and then you're away and you think you can recover back to your pace and finish the race uh, in good standing without fading an hour 10 then maybe that's a good tactic to use and you might know that when you get off your bike you usually cramp up horribly and you know you're not a great mounter dismounter uh, you know, you get very negative on yourself when you're hiking. So you may choose that. Might be worth it. Yeah. And in your training, you might do a bunch of these steep climbs on your mountain bike rides. And so you might be pretty good at absorbing that load. Other people, if they're suddenly in the mountains, suddenly at altitude and they hit 95% of their max heart rate, you know, in the first 20 minutes of a 10 hour, 12 hour day, this gets a little questionable because we are pretty sure that you're not going to hold 95% of your threshold. Uh, or of your max heart rate for 12 hours. We know you're going to have to come back down from that. And at altitude, especially, that can be tricky. So this is where we put in these heart rate limits, these feeling limits. We want to be bored in the first two hours. We maybe try and be just careful going over 85% or that breathing threshold, whatever. And so there we might walk. If if our fitness doesn't let us get up a certain hill, we might elect to hop off and stretch our back, stretch our hip, you know, sit upright or stand upright. Maybe that's a good chance to pull those arm warmers off so you're not overheating. Uh, take a bathroom break on that. Right? We can use this strategically and tactically, but it is that your energy, your VO2, if you will, is within you. It doesn't matter if you're riding a bike or running or walking. You only have the fitness you have. So if you're trying to spread that over a big, long day, a 12-hour, 100-miler, you, you can only do what you can do. And so what pacing is that effective average speed that always moving forward, but not <laughs> watching the big surges, mm -hmm. watching the big stops on the other side. Yeah, yeah. I like what you mentioned here about sort of having a plan. I think if you know you're going to be getting off the bike, I think have that mental checklist of take a sip of water, 
stretch my back, maybe stretch my calves as I'm actually walking up a hill. It's mm-hmm. a great chance mm-hmm. to get like a nice little calf stretch. Uh, just as you're stepping, just let your heel drop. Uh, it's a great time to, you know, get your lower back, move your arms, get your arms over your head. I know a lot of people suffer from you know, numb hands at the start of races, especially when it's chillier out. So it's a good time to shake out your arms sure. a little you're bit. You're on your bike for 12 hours. So, I mean, spending five minutes walking up a hill and just, you know, it's a little like twisting, you know, just stretching. Take your time. You don't have to think. That's the what I've always liked getting off my bike because it's, usually it's when it's these steep things. They're a little loose. I'm thinking about Leadville towards the top of the Columbine turnaround sort of climb. It's the biggest mountain. You're at altitude, like severe altitude, extreme altitude. And so any efforts are going to be costly. And it's hard to get back down from that because you don't have as much oxygen. You know, you're already at your limit. And then you have to think so hard and you're fighting for traction. So you're expending so much extra energy and mind power, if you will, your mind power, mental energy. So it's it's almost like you just save so much for the rest of the day if you just walk for five, 10 minutes, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And again, arm warmers are, you know, pull them off while you're waiting for the guy in front of you to get off his bike. And if you have to pull over and take a bathroom break, it's probably a good time too. Yep. Even just a few big deep breaths, let your heart rate drop back down. Mm-hmm. The odds are pretty good by the time you're getting off the bike. Like you're probably pretty pinned. So take those big belly breaths and it's it's just so worth it. Um, so, okay, that's the, the what to do sort of off the bike. The other thing that I was thinking about as we started talking about this is I know that like mentally it sucks when you're the one hiking your bike and someone just blazes past you or it it just casually is pedaling past you i think that's actually almost harder it's like fine if someone huffs and puffs their way past you you're like yeah fine whatever it's when they just kind of like go by like it's no big deal um so i think the big thing i wanted to point out now is the variation in gearing that people have going into these races i mean gravel there's such a massive variation because it's the bike you buy uh you know if you just get it stock at the shop it's probably a little bit more cyclocrossy a little bit more road oriented it's not set up for these uh leadville-esque things where there's huge climbs mm-hmm. um, or even where there's like short punchy climbs it's well, or coming... for normal people with normal thresholds yeah. to train you know at sub-maximal ability right like i'll put a link to there's a gearing calculator you can do and see what speed you can go at your fastest and at your slowest so i use this a lot but you know if you if your threshold's 250 watts and you're off road the second you go uphill you're starting to touch this so for a lot of us uphill means pretty hard work so having a good gearing means that we can slow down and we can also use rather than using 50 rpm which no one's efficient at 50 RPM. Hey, hey, hey. Except for my wife and maybe a group of single speeders somewhere. <laughs> uh, I forgot to put <laughs> on our call today with clients, I, we were talking about this question. And so I should have brought that up that, you know, some people just pedal at lower cadences. All that to say, yeah, we want to have gears that are going to be appropriate for the range of speeds that we do. A lot of us aren't going to be pedaling a gravel bike at 50 kilometers an hour. We're probably will be tucked, you know, so we don't really need that 5611 so we can wind it up for the sprint at the end of the race or something. We probably want some options for climbing for both training and racing. A lot yeah. of the racing, the critical moments are going to be on climbs. Yeah. So 
think about your gearing if you're pre-race, but if you're in the race and somebody's like <laughs> spinning by you, just remember they probably just have a different set of gearing than you and it might just be that they... Well, and strategy, yeah. Yeah, they purposely, you know, they're not going to be able to crush it in a sprint. You can, uh, but they can get up this hill and you can't because of how they Especially set the in a up. long race. Those are the people you usually see again if you can stay positive. And that's the, the, the mental piece of this is so big is that if you get off your bike it's not a bad thing and you can't you might lose 10 seconds you might lose a minute but if you start you know put your you leave your both your hands on your handlebar and you hunch over and you bend over and you're looking down at the ground and you're crying and you're just walking it you know really inefficient you're not looking where you're going you're not taking the chance to stretch out your hips and, and that whole posture of hunched over the bars is just mentally that's 10 percent, 20 percent worse instantly which shouldn't have happened you were just walking. You just got off for a second. So, and you see this, even people who, when they don't get off their bike, if you get past, there's a lot of people that just instantly, it's the best tactic you can use in a race. Cause a lot of people, not everyone, but when they get past, just instantly think they're bonking because they got past, they're not used to getting past. So then you lose them. If you can just a little bit of a gap and they're like, Oh, they're so much faster. And they give up versus just saying, Oh, okay. Now you're in front, <laughs> right? Maybe road athletes are okay with this, but mountain bikers, it's the best tactic you can use. Yeah. So whatever you do, don't get in your head about getting off the bike. It's often the most efficient thing for you to be doing in that moment. And it's fine. Right. And that brings up the question, you know, the technical uh, skill of mounting, dismounting and running with the bike, carrying the bike is huge. I mean, I think this gets cyclocrossers are just kind of naturally drawn to this. Obviously, like that's the only reason I have any kind of mountain bike capabilities is my ability to get on and off my bike quickly and run over things faster than most people can. And we try and work on that, yeah. you know, keep you on the bike a bit we're, more. We're on it. But like, that's <laughs> when I first started mountain biking, especially like I, that's how I won some of my like sport category races was strictly based on the fact that I could run over yeah. stuff and jump back on my bike quickly. Um, I think it's something that gets maybe ignored by people who just start right on the mountain bike or even just start on the gravel bike. It's really only the cyclocross community that truly embraces remounts and dismounts as the skill that they have to practice. Mm -hmm. And I try and sometimes, you know, if someone's really nervous, uh, which is, is common, you know, they're coming from the road and they're going to do gravel or mountain. They're really nervous about obstacles. And so they're so focused on the skill, whatever the obstacle is. But they're not thinking about getting started and getting stopped, which is actually something they're going to do a lot of. So I actually spent a lot of time on getting started, getting stopped, which we could call dabbing or putting a foot down or uh, paddling. What do we call that? Is that like tripoding sort of, I guess? Kind um, of. Tripoding would be more if you're in a corner or you're and you moving stick a leg or out. Out off camber. But, you know, it's sort of that same thing where you put a foot out and you maybe just dab your foot down. We do that all the time. And it's 100%. Okay. It's just like walking. You know, if you watch Matthew Vanderpool, he dabs all the time. Uh, he runs all the time as well. Uh, and he has a, a very big threshold, right? So where I was going with that is we can practice starting and stopping just as a basic because we might have to start and stop on a hill or a side hill. But if we can get started and stopped efficiently without even saying cyclocross dismount or anything explosive, just starting and stopping quickly and efficiently. From there, I do think the, the cyclocross mount, we'll call it, and dismount. So we're cruising into this like super steep uphill and we sort of swing our leg over and we just step off the bike. It doesn't have to be explosive, but we never really stop. We are immediately walking. 
I like hand on the top tube so we're nice and tall and proud and we can move the bike around. It's so much more efficient. If you think about what you would have to do otherwise, which is braking at the bottom of the hill, stopping the bike entirely, getting off the bike. Oh, you forgot the part where you hit your handlebar as hard as you can because you're so angry about oh, stopping. Yeah, that, yeah, that too. <laughs> and then you um, hump over, you know, yeah. you're like over the bars. Versus if you dismount into it, if you're good at it, you'll see some cyclocross people do it where they're actually like five meters up the hill by the mm -hmm, time mm -hmm. their bike actually stops moving and they pop off and start walking it or running it. Right. So you either push the bike. Most times in mountain biking, we're pushing the bike. We're not usually carrying it. You know, the bottles get in the way. The frames are all sort of wonky. They're not cyclocross bikes. They're also heavier. Uh, so we're pushing, but we're using that hand on the top tube to as a crutch if we sort of stumble because we're walking in cycling shoes and probably rockier terrain, perhaps looser terrain. So we have this sort of crutch where we can put our right hand and lean on it, but we can also lift the bike around and shift it around so it, we don't slam our bike into things either. We have to protect it for the rest of the race. As we come towards the top of the climb, then that's our cyclocross mount. So our hand would move to the, our right hand goes from the top tube onto the handlebar and we just put our thigh on the seat and push ourselves away. Now this yeah. is easier said than done. It doesn't have to be a big dramatic cowboy no. up, nor should it be actually. But this requires a bit of flexibility and practice. And again, this is in training. We're practicing this every time we roll away from somewhere. You get going from home, cyclocross mount. You get leave the coffee shop, cyclocross mount. We're careful on pa pavement and slick surfaces, but... You know, again, we're just stepping onto the bike, basically. So we're really working on that because those are very quickly that mountain dismount. The difference between those two scenarios Molly described where we cruise up and we sort of do our st race stop, race start, you know, and we have to s actually swing our leg over the bike versus the cyclocross mountain dismount. That can be a minute in some cases, but probably more realistically, you know, you're 10 or 20 seconds in difference uh, every time you stop. So I do think that it's something that's quite valuable. Mm -hmm. for people to be working on. And I do have a course with Ryan Leach, the Cyclocross Mounts and Dismounts, which is a stepwise process to get better at mounts and dismounts. We'll put a link to the show notes with that. Yeah, and I think the other thing I thought about with this is just walking versus running was maybe the other thing. Um, you know, sometimes, as we just said, in, in running, a lot of the time if I'm on a hill, I'm power hiking it, and that's totally fine. But I do think it's also worth... Sometimes running up a hill is going to be faster than riding it. So I think there is like the fact that sometimes the power hike or the run actually is faster. So don't think when you get off your bike that you have to, again, hunch over, be in that kind of sad mental state of like, oh, I'm walking, I'm slow. Like, no, I'm running, I'm faster, I'm actually more efficient. Um, so just, you know, don't assume that you have to slow to a, a slow walk. Well, especially if it's more of a technical reason that you're sort of hopping off yeah. versus like a capacity, you know, you're, you're maxed out to do it. Uh, that's for sure. And I mean, some of these bikes, if you, again, if you use that gear speed calculator, you can see, you know, you, you program it into the cadence. So I think on my bike, I don't have extreme range, but I think my easiest gear at 80 to at 80 RPM, the easiest gear is I think nine kilometers an hour. Yeah. So you can run that. So yeah, you could keep up for a short distance, right? Again, most people are not necessarily going to do that, but for a short, steep th climb, you know, and, and I'd probably go under 80 RPM as the thing, right? So it starts coming back from that speed as well. So you can see how if you coasted in on the wheel and you just went boop, 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 you maybe save yourself from sprinting on the bike. So it's maybe a more level, uh, we'll say power output or uh, exertion, and then you step back on the bike and maybe the person who did the the climb is gapped now, but they went into the red zone, whereas maybe you didn't. 
and again over the course of 100 miles this Mm -hmm. this could be a a huge benefit to you as well yeah i think the ultimate i guess like underscoring point here is just think about it like an athlete like don't let yourself get into this oh i'm not athletic or like i'm not a good biker or i'm not good at this because i have to get off the bike think no, I'm athletic. This is a choice that I'm making. This is the correct choice that I'm making for the situation. And I'm going to crush that person that's ahead of me. Did I tell you about the time I was at the World Cup and my crank, uh, my pedal, like something went horribly wrong and I didn't have a pedal on one side anymore in oh, a World Cup. Yeah. Uh, and so they were filming it and Jeff Kabush was doing really well. Jeff Kabush was on the podcast last week on Tuesday uh, talking about tires and tire plugs. So if you didn't hear that, go for it. So Jeff's, lap me and i was being i was going fast enough that i wasn't getting pulled uh so i was running and like just coasting but i had to put my foot on my uh like the top of my bottom bracket and the top of the crank basically and so i was riding down things but i ran behind jeff up this big switchback climb and there it was on tv like i think it was on like our local it actually got televised on cable tv oh, uh, remember uh, cable TV. so it looked like jeff was in eighth he had a great race and then i was running behind him up this whole switchback uh it was like that was peak moment for my career right there lapped but keeping up sort of so there you go <laughs> it, it is possible to continue keeping up well, i don't that. know if it was efficient but that happened so yeah i mean i think that just illustrates that even even like the fastest person is still like running speed eighth, eighth fastest one of the fastest people <laughs> is still climbing at running speed yeah during his race again i was not at all competing in this race i was lapped but that one section of the course you know i was running behind him yeah so so yeah i think that uh, that pretty much sums up that uh walking and running on with the bike is totally acceptable however maybe the final caveat is this is not a reason to not work on your skills, especially if it's the kind of thing where you're getting off the bike for every obstacle on the trail, like every rock, every log, etc. cetera. Uh, there is a point where, and I mean, I'm super guilty of this, obviously, as per everything we've just said, um, you know, there is something to be said for learning the skills so that you can feel that 10 out of 10 confidence to actually get over uh, these obstacles on the trail. So if you, if you are in that bucket of, everything is making you get off and walk over them might be time to seek out some skills instruction if you're in our area of ontario more in the gta we do have skills clinics and stuff we actually have a log hop clinic coming up at the end of the month so uh, if you're around and if that sounds like the kind of thing that's making you get off the bike and walk then uh maybe maybe head over to consummate athlete and look into that for sure yeah and so i think that's you know you work with what you have whether that's skills once we're in the race at least you work with what you have it's skills fitness and then we're just trying to optimize our strategy our tactics to get us to the finish line as best we can and and we embrace that and it can get better over time as molly's saying we can work on all these technical mechanical all the owls even the bowels as molly pointed out last week uh to get better And, and our our package our athlete uh, all the different elements that make up that athlete can keep improving. And the cool thing I like about off-road especially is that there's so many of these different elements, mental uh, included, right, uh, that are going to contribute to that performance uh, and that interact with each other, right? It's this nice little soup of of performance. Gross. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, let's uh, let's leave it there. Head over to consummateathlete.com to grab the show notes. And keep the questions coming. If this sparked a question or reminded you of a question, please, you know, shoot those over and we can we can uh, answer your question next Friday. Perfect. All right. Have a great weekend. See you soon. 
Thanks so much for tuning into the Consummate Athlete Podcast. If you enjoyed this or any of our past episodes, do us a solid and leave us a rating or review wherever you listen to podcasts. And check out our book, Becoming a Consummate Athlete, over at consummateathlete.com. Questions or comments? Find us over on Instagram, at consummateathlete, and we will see you next week.